of Peter and chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Pray with me. Father, may all the words now of my mouth be guided, directed, illumined, and anointed by your Holy Spirit. And then we know that they will be acceptable in your sight. Help those who hear to be changed forever by this eternal word. We ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The biblical surety that Jesus is coming again, or as the Apostle Peter has written here in chapter 3 of his second letter, we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because as it says in verse 13, did you catch it as we were reading it? It is a promise. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Given the fact that we live in a day where righteousness as a characteristic of the day is found, I think, on the top of the endangered list. There does, after all, seem to be only rare sightings of true godliness here and there in the corners of a growing cultural darkness. In verse 3, Peter has warned, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And one of the ironies about our Lord's second coming is that while it is good news on the one hand, it is to be preceded by a growing spiritual darkness in the world. We cannot escape that aspect of biblical revelation. And it is the purpose of Peter to bring comfort to Christians by letting them know that the day of judgment approaches for all the enemies of Christ and that what awaits the faithful church of Jesus Christ is finally a full vindication and a deliverance to what he calls the new heaven and earth where Righteousness rules forever and forever and forever. Amen. But in the meantime, Peter knows that Christians in the last days will be facing tremendous obstacles to the pursuit of godliness and in their day-to-day walk with the Lord. Good news, he says. Jesus will come again just as he promised, but... Be aware, in the meantime of your existence, there will be ever-increasing challenges to remain faithful. I think among the many great values of this epistle is the fact that Peter will tell us quite specifically, in very practical terms, what we need to do till Jesus comes. Remember, that this is the apostle who in the early days following Christ 
had tasted the bitter fruits of a kind of naive self-reliance when it came to his commitment. Do you remember that? Peter would say, oh Lord, I'll never turn my back on you. I'm ready to die for you. I'll die with you. Oh my dear Peter, (laughs) the Lord responds, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times over. But out of that experience of Peter, I want to say to you this morning, show me a man whose heart has been broken a few times over his own efforts. Show me someone like Peter, humbled to the ground, who by God's grace learns that if he is to stand in an evil day, it will not be in the strength of his own resolve but rather by full reliance on Christ's ability to keep him and to plant, as it were, his trembling feet on the rock of God's eternal truth, this very word of God. You're all familiar with the beautiful Golden Gate Bridge spanning the San Francisco Bay in California. Hard to believe it was built in the 1930s. But newer technology, I understand, has revealed just how very vulnerable the structure actually is. Civil engineers have studied the Golden Gate Bridge, and they have warned that an earthquake of 7.0 magnitude could bring it down, and that such a trembler, they say, has a 70% likelihood of occurring prior to the year 2030. As a result, of course, a massive program for strengthening the bridge's foundation is already underway. The scientific principle at work is this. The more severe the force coming against a structure, the stronger the foundation needs to be. And you say, well, that's a no-brainer. Why, 2,000 years ago, Jesus addressed the issue of foundations. You will remember the foolish man who built his house on sand versus the man who established his life on the solid rock foundation. The storms of life, as it were, railed against the two structures, blowing the one clear away while the house on the rock stood firm. Jesus said, the one who hears my word and lives by it is like that man who built his house on the rock. How much more necessary is this lesson to us living in the last days? Peter, Jesus said one day, you're just a little stone a pebble's worth of weight. But on the giant rock of my truth, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. This Peter is someone who knows what he's talking about when it comes to taking a stand and how to fail. And he knows what he's talking about when it comes to taking a stand and he succeeds how to keep from falling. 
ultimately, Peter had to learn that the promises of God carried far more weight than any promise he could make to Jesus. I think I probably ought to repeat that sentence. Peter, and thus you and I, have to learn that the promises of God carried far more weight than any promise he could make to Jesus. When the Lord, after his glorious victory over death itself, restores the fallen Peter to a place of immense usefulness, he does so by addressing what I call the issue. And the issue is not one, uh, not one of one's trying harder to do better the next time, but rather the issue of love. Three times Peter failed and denied his Lord. And three times after the resurrection, Jesus asked him the question, Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now, hidden in the nuances of that text, which we cannot elaborate upon this morning, is the real issue. It will not be so much Peter's love, but the love of Christ for Peter. Oh, we do well to always remember that. Just as in the beginning of our great salvation, it was not that we loved him first, but that he loved us first and gave himself a ransom for us. So it is in the day-to-day ongoing Christian life, the issue is not, Peter, do you love me? Or Jim, do you love me? Or Betty, do you love me? For each time when Peter responded in frustration the third time, you'll remember what he said, Lord, you know everything. (laughs) You know it all. You know that I love you, but that's not really the issue, is it, Lord? And no, it wasn't. It was the love of Christ that would constrain and control and keep and spurn on Peter to an immense contribution to kingdom work. So what are we to do till Jesus comes? Peter, now an expert on these matters, would remind us that we need foremost of all to trust. In these last days, put your trust in the Lord. I didn't compare notes with the choir this week, but they sure sang an appropriate hymn. My hope is in the Lord. I'd only add one word. My hope is in the Lord alone. Trust. And what are we to trust? We are to trust radically, ruthlessly, trust in the love of God for us in these harrowing last days until he comes again. This rock of truth foundation is all about God's love to us in Christ Jesus. Indeed, he himself is the rock. He who yielded up his own life to win our salvation, to place his love upon us, how will he not also freely 
just that same kind of grace freely give us everything we're going to need. We are his beloved, his bride. He will not forsake his own. A day may seem like a thousand years, but once we are strengthened by his loving grace, the thousand years will be nothing more than a day in the light of all eternity. Now, uniquely in 2 Peter chapter 3, there is to be found four beloveds. Maybe you were noticing that as we read along. This lovely greeting, beloved, is found and translated at least into the King James English at verse 1, verse 8, verse 14, and verse 17. The four beloveds. Now the Greek word, agapetoi, and that even as you have heard it, agapetoi, translated beloved, many of you detect the word for that divine-like love, agape, or as some pronounce it, agape love. Agape love is distinct from all other kinds of earthly love. It is that love which comes down only from above. It is a love there full, fully expressed and revealed in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter uses it as an attention getter, not just as a sweet and polite word. He calls them beloved in light of the last days and all of the warnings he has issued here. When Peter uses the term beloved, agapetoi, surely he is expressing his own godly affection for his fellow believers. But more succinctly, It is a term that reminds the hearer that they are loved not only by Peter. More importantly, they are the beloved loved by God. And that's a love that is not conditioned by anything found in us. You study it in scripture, you'll see that it's a love in spite of us. It's a love that flows willfully from the pure heart of God. He chooses to place his affection upon us. And in that love, he will make the unlovely, the unworthy, those once his enemies, to finally be called his beloved, even his bride. Wesley exclaimed it well in his hymn, didn't he? Amazing love. How can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And I want to suggest to you that if only, and we can with the help of God's Holy Spirit, if only we could hear in every command of our Lord the tone of voice, the tender voice of sacrificial love. Beloved, beloved. In the four times under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Peter employs the term here in chapter 3, we learn what to do in these last days as the beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. So we ought to look at it. Now in verse 1, 
Let me just give you the four beloveds and what I think is the application of these to us. In verse 1, he is saying, Beloved, keep your minds active. He uses the term stirred up by the word of God. Beloved, keep your minds active, stirred up by the word of God. In verse 8, as we will see, he is saying something like this. Beloved, keep your eyes fixed on eternity. Beloved, keep your eyes fixed on eternity. In verse 14, he is saying, Beloved, keep your feet on the path of righteousness. Keep your feet on the path of righteousness. And then taking verses 17 and 18 together, he's saying, Beloved, keep growing in grace and in your relationship to your Lord and Savior. Four beloveds, four things to do till Jesus comes. That's it. That's basically it, my beloved. We could speak volumes about issues in the Christian life, but Peter's time, after all, is limited. These are actually his last words about the last days. Second Peter reads like a last will and testament throughout. You don't have to turn there, but listen to verses 12 through 15 in the greeting, the first chapter. Here's what Peter says, last will and testament. I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing, here's what he knows, that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. (laughs) He's writing and he's saying, I'm going to die. But before I do, I want to remind you of the most important things, beloved. He says, the Lord Jesus made it clear to him that his time is near. And so he says, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Aren't you glad that he put it in writing? So that 2,000 years after the death of the Apostle Peter, we have his last will and testament for the church that now, after all, is 2,000 years closer to the day of judgment of which he speaks. You know, not so long ago, when I came to the bedside of my dear dad in his last days, I discovered something. That there are a whole lot of things we could have talked about. But I can tell you that for the most part, all that seemed ultimately important to him was for him to say, I love you. I love you. And it was important for me and for my mom and for my brothers and sisters and others to respond and say, I love you too. God loves me. 
and whatever else I could say about the issues that affect my life right now, whatever they be, whatever your issues are, your difficulties, your concerns, your afflictions, whatever they may be, bottom line, at the end of the day, as at the end of life, this is ultimately what matters. God loves me, and that's enough for time and for eternity. Even if I must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for the one who loves me. He loves me. And I am safe and I am secure. Let's just recap these four beloveds briefly. Number one, we said he's saying, Beloved, keep your minds active, stirred up by the word of God. Notice what he says in verse 2. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. It's a unique verse there. You could write off in the margin that it is a reference in this day of grace 2,000 years later to both Old and New Testament. In other words, verse 2, Peter says, I want you, beloved, to do this thing above all others. Stir up your minds, keep them active on the teaching of the prophets of the old, the apostles of the new, and the commandments of Christ, the Bible, the word of God. Let me share with you, as it says in verse 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. Takes all the shock and surprises we sometimes do encounter when we pick up, as one said this morning, our paper each day. To have a mind that is saturated, stirred up, around the teaching of both Old and New Testament is to know exactly what's going on, even when the news is shocking. We, above all the people in the world, should be quick to say, we knew it. God's word has already revealed it. The headlines are only reflecting what 2,000 years ago the New Testament described, in infinite detail, by the way, what it was going to be like to be living in the days just before the return of Christ, and we are living in that day even now. Judgment is coming. Verses 7 and 10 put together by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Peter's saying, friends, if you're reading the newspaper more than your Bible, you're watching CNN or weeping with Oprah more than stirring up your mind with the word of God, you will find yourself spiritually weak and more likely to believe the skeptic's the scoffers, then you will the Bible's accurate assessment of contemporary events. There's a great move in the 
even the evangelical church today, that's seeking to interpret the Bible through a contemporary lens. How foolish. It takes the Bible to interpret what is going on in this contemporary present hour, and the Bible reveals it. So stir up your minds, beloved. Be a man, be a woman of the book. Secondly, beloved, keep your eyes fixed on eternity. We could read again the verses 8 through 13, but they have been read for us. One of the highlights of that section is that Peter is led to quote one of the great Psalms of David, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 verse 4 says this, For a thousand years in your sight, O Lord, are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. Peter interprets it that a day with the Lord is like or as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. There's a significant amount of silliness, quite frankly, that some have expressed in taking some kind of literal calendar or formula for creating God's calendar. And, and uh, that's not what's intended here at all. We skip over words like, it's like a thousand years or like a day. It's not so much a calendar as there is a lesson here. One of the uh, more humorous versions of this I heard recently, the story goes there was this economist that had begun reading scripture And he found the verse, with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So he decides to pray. Dear Lord, if a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, then would a million dollars be as a penny? And a penny is a million dollars to you? And to his surprise, the Lord answered, why yes, how astute, my friend. Now, seeing a financial opportunity presenting itself, the economist prayerfully quips, do you think you could turn my pennies into your millions? Why, of course, the Lord replied, just wait until tomorrow. But of course, the context of Psalm 90 and Peter's context are really the same. It's reminding the children of God that they are to walk by faith and not by sight. That everything in the here and the now is to be viewed in the light of an endless eternity where time doesn't even matter anymore. It's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he got an eternal perspective on all of life's considerable trials and afflictions. And here's what he counseled. He said, gather it all up. Gather up all your pain and put it alongside the glories of heaven and soon you will see not a mountain of trouble but a molehill of temporary inconvenience. Beloved, keep your eyes fixed on eternity. It's the only way to really walk by faith. Oh, we so foolishly measure our life by one day's circumstance and get ourselves all wound up and frustrated and and all of those things that come when we fail to understand we're his beloved. He loves us and he's destined us not merely for time but for eternity. 
Thirdly, quickly now, in the meantime, in verse 14, he's saying, Beloved, keep your feet on the path of righteousness. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Then you'll notice the therefore of verse 14. Therefore, since that's our destiny, since that's where we're going, we're going to be living in a place where only righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him now in peace, spotless, and blameless. What are we to do till Jesus comes? We're to pursue moral purity. And that's a struggle. But oh, it's well worth it. It's also where peace is to be found. You know, every thou shalt not that comes up against our fleshly desires, remember again, is in a tone of voice that comes and falls from the lips of our beloved Lord to his beloved bride. You see, he desires for us our peace, his peace, and because we are the beloved. And he knows that the path of moral purity, of a practiced righteousness, is the way of peace. You notice that word diligence. What is that? It is simply the discipline to be willing to say no to our own flesh, to deny ourselves sinful desires so that we can say yes, and it takes an act of the will to take up a cross and follow him. That's the message of discipleship. No one has ever walked that Calvary road without receiving the same thing that Christ did, the promised resurrection of a new life with peace. What does it mean to deny myself? It means that in spite of what I'm feeling, even intensely, that I desire, if God has said no, it's not the way of peace, my beloved I say no to my feelings. I say yes with an act of my will. And then I wholly rely on the strength that God gives through his indwelling spirit to walk in a path of righteousness as his beloved until Jesus comes again. Finally, fourthly, beloved, he says, keep growing in grace and in your relationship to your Lord and Savior. Now, we cannot take the time to unpack the important material in verses 15 through 16, except to say that Peter is warning against the errors, and they abound, of false teachers, who in this case are not probably cultists, as we might think, but are actually teachers handling the same Bible that you carried to church this morning. These are unprincipled Bible teachers in the last days in particular who take the extraordinary teachings of the Apostle Paul and twist and distort them. That's all I have time to say about that issue. There's much more in those verses. But what is the point that Peter drives at is the main point. That while we are to reject all false interpretations of Scripture, 
the apostle again dresses us, addresses us one last time as the beloved and yields this fourth point. What are we to do? Well, we're not to follow unprincipled error. And it abounds today. That's why that first point was so important. We're to be stirred up constantly, our minds active upon the Word of God. That's why at Good Shepherd Church we place such an extraordinary emphasis on the preaching and the teaching and the teaching and the preaching and some more teaching of God's Word. Yes, we're obsessed because we believe in the last days these things will come to pass and only a sure foundation under us will keep us from falling. Notice what he says we're to do. We're to keep growing in grace. But grow, in verse 18, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Just these final notes. Please notice that any teaching of Scripture that suggests some way to live the Christian life other than by grace alone, is a twisting of God's word. To grow in grace is to actively employ every means of grace that God gives in his word in order to live faithfully till Jesus comes again. But Peter adds that we are to grow as well in a daily relationship to the living, ever-present one who is right here and now our Lord and Savior. Yes, the context is one of the glory yet to be revealed, but the living is to be done in the here and now. We are not waiting, beloved, Peter would say, for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ so we can finally get to know him. He says, no, grow in the grace he gives to know him now. Walk with him now. Obey his word now. Besides, it's only now that we can do the very thing that Peter signs off with when he says to Jesus Christ, be the glory both, what? Now and to the day of eternity. Perhaps you do ask, how can we bring him glory now, even as we wait for the day of eternity? And it is by remembering, in spite of yourself and myself, We are the beloved. And when all is said and done, to be able to say, God loves me. Only only those who have put personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ can be assured that they are in fact accepted in the beloved. Do you remember the voice that boomed from heaven? In the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Come to him. Follow him. Turn to him. Commit to him. And then you will be accepted in the beloved. If you ask the question, how much does God love me because of my trust in Christ? How much does he love you because of your trust in Christ? It's an extraordinary thing to say, but he loves you just as much as he loves his only 
begotten Son. We are accepted in the Beloved. Beloved, keep your minds active, stirred up by the Word of God. Beloved, keep your eyes fixed on eternity. That thing you're going through right now, in light of eternity, as hard as it may be, as painful as it may be, as frightening as it may be, it is temporary, and he is with you. Beloved, keep your feet on the path of peace and righteousness. And beloved, keep growing in grace and in a love relationship to your Lord and Savior. Soon, soon, perhaps very soon, you'll hear the voice. Beloved, come away with me. The wedding feast is prepared and all is made ready. Come away with me, my beloved. I'll carry you over that golden threshold of my father's house. Come, come, my beloved. Enter in to the glory. We have but one life to offer. We can only offer it one day at a time in the course of time, which is coming to an end. Trust and offer yourself to the arms of one who loves you, loves you with an everlasting love. And he will take care of you. I don't promise it. God does.